Welcome to episode 504 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. This is the second of the two best ofs we do every year. This one is last year's literature of 2022. Some of the pieces, written pieces, we've shared in our episodes over the year, from January through December of 2022, featuring The Sun Magazine writer John Polk, our resident essayist and associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, writer Marnie Azzarelli, actor extraordinaire Dominic Azzarelli, and yours truly. Let's enjoy some of what we shared in 2022, last year's literature.
Galaxy. How much marijuana should one smoke? It's medicine now, officially. That means it's good for you. Though, I suppose too much medicine can be harmful. I often wonder and struggle with what motivates me. It is a bit frustrating, nigh disheartening, when you realize how small you are most of the time. What I mean by small is what indeed, deep down, in your bones, heart, soul, mind, motivates you, propels you, stymies you. Fear, greed, lust, delusions of grandeur, being a good boy, a good girl, heaven, hell, nirvana. I am being redundant. Maybe I should pack a bowl with some sativa or eat a heart-shaped gummy and feel the energy of the galaxy in my lower dantian, up my system, through my third eye, into the biosphere, eventually melding with the energy of the sun as I run around in my circles. But now, in touch with the sun, man, that's some good stuff. I think it is a hybrid. I think about those people I love and those I'm supposed to love and those who are supposed to love me and those that perhaps do truly love me. And then the wind blows and my wooden chimes reverberate from the back porch into my rhythm core. <laughs> what a chore. Small stream. Harpsichord electric heater resonates reddish with warmth, dry, into the household biosphere, constructed by a small stream of humanity and orchestrated with currency earned through efforts at leaving a legacy, even if it is just your remains to add organic girth to the earth. Florist Bodega. The fear of staying healthy. It's an esoteric pretext dominated by a need to control or to be controlled. Ah, that coffee tastes good like I knew it would. I brewed it myself every morning. Why don't you listen? How come you don't come down the road and pay tribute? Quiet and respectful. You think you're something special. I know how it works. So many fools, so many jerks. And then there is this guy. He lives on Chelsea, writes vicious poetry, in the beat-up cafe across the corner from the florist bodega owned by that young Syrian family. Everyone is always talking like they are royalty and hiding from Iraq or Afghanistan. A few think the wife is the Belarusian elected president running the revolution in Manhattan while trimming roses and baby's breath in the Bowery. I like to imagine that the vicious poet, 
He has beautiful, long, curly black hair, writes the Syrian president-elect speeches. She uploads them to be streamed online from the back room of the bodega with cut stems and rose petals all over the floor. You can smell the petals and the words and hear the stems crack like her young voice as she utters what she memorized and morphed into her own verve. The poet and the president in the Bowery trying to be themselves, trying to stand out and trying to blend in. I wonder what propels and churns the vicious fulcrum of the long-haired poet. Was he born that way? Was he mistreated over and over again? These people are my imaginary friends. for complaining, she says as she's about to complain, but villains just aren't what they used to be. I want a bad guy, not someone who flip-flops on where their moral compass points, as in more modern movies and TV shows. Disney is especially known for doing this. In their newest animated features, like Encanto and Moana, there's a distinct lack of a main villain, or if there is one, they're somehow redeemed in the end. They even made multiple film series giving well-known villains like Maleficent and Cruella de Vil tragic backstories to explain why they are the way they are. I don't want cop-outs or saved bad guys. I want my villains to be pure, unadulterated evil. Back in the days of Golden Age Disney fairy tales, the villains were easier to spot. 
They were usually grotesque, witchy women, threatened by a young girl's beauty or magic. They would transform themselves, poison people, and even curse babies to reach their end goal, which was usually murder or power. In short, there was nothing redeemable to find in these people, or in some cases, creatures. They were evil for evil's sake, wanting only to gain power through any means necessary. And usually, those means were nefarious. Take, for instance, one of the most famous of pop culture villains, who was somehow also owned by Disney, Darth Vader. In 1978's Star Wars A New Hope, we were introduced to this bad guy who fought our hero, Luke Skywalker. He is a masked, heavy-breathing figure who could be an alien, human, or a clogged air conditioner, for all we knew of his identity at the time. What we did know was how terrifying he was. While he was physically imposing and mysterious, it was his sadistic streak that chilled people the most. I mean, he started his day off by torturing a teenage girl and then blew up her planet right in front of her. The dude's sinister. And you would see this sadistic streak throughout the next two movies as well. I mean, kind of. George Lucas always had it in mind that Darth Vader was actually Luke's father, Anakin Skywalker, who ends up helping his son in the final film of his series instead of turning Luke to the dark side. Long story short, Vader is made into a sympathetic figure in Return of the Jedi. Then, over the next two decades, he gets his own tragic backstory through prequel films, novels, and comics. Not to mention the numerous parodies, Saturday Night Live sketches, and internet memes that have further defanged and basically demasked the terrifying villain, who was once willing to blow up his daughter's home planet without a second thought. But then, our good friend Disney did something different. Rogue One, A Star Wars Story was released in 2016. It's a prequel in a long line of Star Wars prequels that takes place right before the first time we ever get to see Vader on film in A New Hope. He has a cameo at the end where he massacres an entire ship of rebel soldiers in one of the most horrific scenes ever shot in the Star Wars franchise. And it was freaking awesome. After years of viewers almost forgetting who the real Vader was, we see it plain as day in his savage use of his powers. Which now begs the question, does a backstory ruin a villainous character? Does the fact that Maleficent was brutally attacked as a young woman, shown in her origin movie, completely negate the fact that she curses Sleeping Beauty with an imminent coma as a baby? And I don't think anything that happened to Cruella de Vil would ever, realistically, give us all the green light to accept the fact that she wanted to skin a bunch of puppies. Huh. So maybe I was jumping a bit to conclusions when I said I needed a villain to just be some two-dimensional stock character. I think maybe I need more of a balance instead of just pure badness. While the unknown evil Vader I first saw in A New Hope will always give me goosebumps, it's interesting to note that with the full knowledge of his history, doesn't change the essential viciousness of, a, of his character. Especially when I watch him walk out of that fog-filled elevator in Rogue One, a pile of rebel bodies at his feet. It's honestly scarier to see that one human, no matter how good and righteous they could start out as, could fall so far. Maybe that's the point. I don't need a good villain, I just need a well-written character. And now maybe I can stop complaining. Meh, unlikely. Fluttering About Ice hanging from the white birch tree and pine is winter wonderland sublime. The bird bath 
a light peach-colored orange, should have been covered. It filled and froze and cracked in half, the saucer did, and fell straight down to the cold ground, something we will need to repair or replace in the spring. Right now, I am listening for the neighborhood birds to sing, fluttering about, doing their wondrous avian thing. And now, a piece by John Potch, published in the July 2022 issue of The Sun magazine, titled, In Texas, Thinking of Georgia. It must have been 40 years ago, my brother and sisters, our mom and dad, gathered around the fat television before our Saturday supper to watch my skinny father make the evening news. Earlier that slow news day at the Atlanta Farmer's Market, the camera crew had discovered him buying a bushel of peaches and a watermelon. He thumped the melon and mugged for the camera. Sweet as your mother's love, he said. Around the TV we howled, how a family can howl. So proud of his wit and our fame, his name on the banner below. Overcast today, the end of February, and my two peach trees have blossomed early here in my front yard in our Texas college town. These pink daytime stars, surreal and sexy against the gray. I think of him now and that peach-swollen heat of a Georgia summer, how sometimes he would buy us fruit by the bushel, how a few years later he left my mother and married one of her best friends. But that one night of my father's stardom, it was family night. We stayed up till eleven, bowed to the television, and watched the news for the second time. My father, he said it again, sweet as your mother's love, and we lost it.
galore who needs anything more drums for sonic youth pretty big for a kid happily not from duluth but instead from jersey born in passaic isn't that where the great american poet william carlos williams slayed it and the beat goes on working with andy warhol circle of artistic endeavor an early time on the New York City scene before the book and underground BB gun fanzine, before Lydia Lunch spoke her words in front of his backbeat bass drum and tight snare, hi-hat cymbal beware, psst, psst, psst. Hoboken and soft-spoken has been home for a while. Sitting on the couch, feeling the daylight and star-bright nights through the window with natural style. A sixth decade on this planet, the village, Moscow, some whiskey-soaked stage in Alabama, to a mid-size suburban city near Chicago, He's just a drummer with a camera. We talk of the passing of time and musical icons inside the scene, the Ukraine and screaming trees, how life is but a dream. Old loves and Bert's bees in my breast pocket for chapped lips and strong hearts beating faster while scraping the sides of cars with a church key in this left hand, as alabaster hips move steadfast and stalwart in the rhythm of a master, through a headset, listening to his band, imploring in song for us to kill our idols faster and faster, and modest royalty checks keep pacing themselves into a less austere balance sheet than once was the predicament. American rock drummer, artist man to the core, soon again in April on the road for a nationwide tour. Weeks of soup du jour for supper, wearing worn leather pants with red down the sides, otherwise the color of natural maple. Symbolize beautiful, the soul-searching romance of this wide open country fable. Ever met my friend Mulligan? Big fella. 
kind of surly until you get to know him. After that, he's kind of sweet, or at least not as surly. Well, he would sit at the bar with a large chip on his shoulder, and the slightest comment would set him off. An argument about a ball game, say, or which of the local news anchors was the prettiest. Or someone would run into the bar and say such and such about so-and-so. Mulligan would stand up, kick back his stool, and off he'd go, raring to fight someone. Everyone would scatter, and a few of us would try to calm him down. Mulligan would fuss and fume and chase the offender out the door of the bar. But before he could reach him, let alone land a punch, we'd hear his mother's voice come from out the window of the third-floor apartment house across the street from the bar. Get my cigarettes, you lazy bastard! Stop your lollygagging, Mulligan, and march your ass down to the store. You see, despite his reputation as a fighter, Mulligan never fought much because his mother would yell out the window and stop the fight before it started. Mulligan would yell back, Ah, ma! And sheepishly slink down to the corner store and buy a pack of Chesterfields and a couple lottery tickets. Mulligan would never cross his mother. No one from the neighborhood would either. Then as a rail and with a horrible hacking cough. Feisty. That's what she was. Katie Mulligan was a feisty woman. Mulligan, she'd say, stop watching TV, get your lazy ass out of that chair and find a job. Mulligan hated working as much as he liked fighting. Mulligan, she'd moan, you're almost as lazy as your lazy-ass father. And he was the laziest man in this sorry neighborhood. And that's saying something. Mulligan's dad left years ago. Went out for a pack of Chesterfields for Katie and never came back. He was very sensitive about his father. And that's how he became a fighter. Or would-be fighter. On the playground, his cl classmates would chant, Where's your pa, Mulligan? You know how cruel kids can be. Well, eventually the taunts stopped, and Mulligan found other reasons to get into fights. One guy, though, by the name of Malone, kept at it. Every chance he got, he would say, How's your pa, Mulligan? And Mulligan would leap off the bar stool and go after Malone. But Malone was as quick and wiry as Mulligan was slow and beefy, and Malone would dash out of the bar and run down the street cackling, off to start trouble at another dive. You might say that Malone was Mulligan's nemesis. At one time, Mulligan wanted to be a real fighter, a professional boxer. He watched old boxing movies on TV and saw himself as the young Brando on, in On the Waterfront. You should have looked out for me, Charlie. I could have been a contender. He trained at the local gym for a while, but his mother put a stop to his dreams before the first fight. No son of mine is going to be a punch-drunk boxer. Get your lazy ass out of, that, out of that gym and go get a job. So Mulligan worked. When he had to. At a number of jobs. Truck driver for a produce company fired for stealing carrots for Katie's stew. Night watchman, fired for sleeping on the job. Bouncer at the shady nightclub, fired for bouncing the owner's obnoxious son into the street. Then he ended up at the poultry plant, deboning chicken. I was a deboner once, and let me tell you, it's no better roses, or feathers for that matter. 
Mulligan didn't last long at the at the production line. Just long enough to get into a few minor skirmishes with fellow deboners and to fall in love. And guess who the lucky girl was? Malone's sister, Mary Margaret Alice Malone, a shy gal who worked in the office of the poultry plant. Mulligan was sent to the office so many times that the fighter and his nemesis' sister struck up a friendship. By the time Mulligan was finally fired for an altercation with the fellow deboner, they were an item. Mulligan's mother, Katie, heaved a sigh of relief and welcomed Mary Margaret into their little family. What did Malone think of all this? Huh, that's a story for another time. I gotta go. Watch the ice. Despite the Manicure Yellow lamp light today in the early phase of spring, and we sing, voluptuous in our heart. It is a shared experience, whether you believe it or not. All is teeming with the gravity of this constant earth spin. As the sun rules us in brightness, Hair grows white and curls out of my chin every day and every night. Despite the fog outside dissipating enchanted into the warm, wistful wind.
The white lace dress is freely blowing in the warm wind, and I don't pretend not to be watching. A baseball cap, light blue and well-worn, with sweat stains and old dirt on its bill and brim, hangs on the fence post. After I cut the grass, perhaps a cold drink and a swim, alone or with my friends and kin. See that woman at the end of the bar? The one with the tattoos? Yeah, her. She reminds me of someone. Used to be something of a regular. A semi-regular, let's say. I love a woman with tattoos. You know that Groucho Marx song, Lydia the Tattooed Lady? Oh, Lydia, oh, Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Lydia the Tattooed Lady. Well, I really like this particular tattooed lady. She came in usually by herself around 7 o'clock or so, right after the daily number. The geezers would start mourning when their number didn't come up, and she would sail into the bar, take a seat at the end, and order a dirty martini. Now, this isn't exactly a dirty martini kind of joint, but the bartender liked her too. So he'd nod and smile, and he wasn't a smiling sort either, and even chill her glass. Fancy. She would have at the most two drinks and then leave. Small talk with the bartender, a smile or two with the regulars and barflies. Sometimes a friend would meet her and they would sit at the corner table quietly talking for a while. No lining up of shots, no screaming laughter, no loud arguments. A couple of drinks and out the door. Despite the bartender's attempts to dig for info, we didn't know much about her. Job? She must have had one. Boyfriend or husband or partner? Who knew? She was a mystery to us. She was, uh, what do you call it, uh, an enigma. The main thing that we knew about her, we could see on her arms, and in the summer, her legs, and in one band around her neck. Of course, nowadays, everyone has a tattoo. Your grandmother probably has a heart tattooed on her old butt. In those days, they were more of a novelty. On one arm, a bouquet of flowers. On the other, what looked like a dragon. On one leg, a string of broken hearts. On the other, signs and symbols and moons and stars. And around her neck, a saying in the invented language of fantasy novel. I only know that last bit of information from casual eavesdropping on my way to the men's room. I wanted to study these tattoos and know all about them. What they meant, when she got them, why she picked them. But I could only observe from my stool. Glances. I didn't want to be pervy or gawky. There's more than enough competition for pervy and gawky in that bar. So, you might ask, why didn't I just sit next to her and start up a conversation? Maybe it was something to do with my history with women. It's been, what's the word? Checkered. Let's put aside middle school and high school crushes and heartbreaking one-sided romances that existed only in my head. Let's keep it to adult relationships, so to speak. There was Lola, a fine girl I met at 
one of my many jobs. She was a bit of a kook. We were both young, and we had lots of fun for a while. We married and divorced in record time. After we married, we didn't have much fun anymore, and we both realized it was better to bail out now than to settle in for the long haul. Then there was Joni. I met her, surprise, at the bar. We had a series of flings, most of which involved drinking into the wee hours of the morning. By the afternoon, when we had sobered up, we discovered that we weren't quite compatible. Sober, we didn't seem to like each other much. But by nighttime, we were ready for another fling. And eventually, we were all flung out. Joni moved on to another bar, and I started going home long before the last call. And then there was Francine, lovely girl who worked at the cash register at the convenience store where I bought my lottery tickets. She was studying to be a physical therapist. Smart lady, much smarter than me. We got along great together, but she wanted a normal life, a family. And I wanted, well, I didn't know what I wanted. She could see I wasn't ready for the plunge, and I probably never would be. So she moved on, met a nice fella, and had a happy life. And I'm buying lottery tickets at the same convenience store. Oh yeah, the tattooed woman at the bar. So we exchanged a few words, but I never got the nerve to sit down next to her and start a real conversation. Maybe all that ink intimidated me. She stopped coming in a while ago, and we all still miss her. Ah, well... You can learn a lot from Lydia. Great song. I gotta go. Watch the ice. Lively up. Brown, yellow, specks of green, black. White clouds pass through endless blue. Away and to me and you. Sweet melody of human hope, love lost and found, unending existence and life abound. Moisture in the air and down, from this nose breathed through my beard. Steer clear of nothing, despite your fear. We are still all here, my dear. Hey, oh, hey, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, hey, oh, hey, hey, oh, hey, do you know I love you so, and mommy will never let you go. be mommy's little guy hey oh hey oh hey oh hey oh hey hey oh hey oh hey oh hey oh hey hey oh hey hey oh 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 hey
mommy will never let you go to the stars and the sky you'll always be mommy's little guy hey oh 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 hey hey oh hey hey we are oh hey hey oh hey oh hey do you know i love you so Mommy will never let you go to the stars and the sky. You'll always be mommy's little guy. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey. Mommy will never let you go to the stars and the sky. You'll always be mommy's little guy. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh. I never see a chipmunk. Hey everybody, it's been a minute. Thanks for coming out. I haven't played out in public for a while. Now the ones who know me, hey Jer, Sammy, Simone, you guys know why I haven't been out. I guess I should tell the rest of you. My girl Marigold left me, and it's taken me a long time to get over it. I was a mess. I'd start sobbing wherever I happened to be, walking in the park, standing in line at the grocery store, sitting in a coffee shop, even playing my guitar. One time I was walking down the street, and I stopped on the sidewalk and just started weeping. I couldn't move, and I couldn't stop weeping. So there was this guy cutting his grass, and he came over and hugged me, which was nice and all, but also a little weird. He hugged me longer and tighter than I thought was cool. Strange guy, but kind. Anyway, one day I came home from work. Forgot which job I had then. I think my brief gig at Staples. And all my stuff, my guitar, my knapsack, my Kerouac paperbacks, was packed up and piled up by the door. What gives, I asked Marigold. You're a self-absorbed jerk, and I can't stand being with you anymore, she said. Whoa. I said, harsh. Now, she had said that to me before, quite a few times, actually, but this was the first time she had ever piled up my stuff by the door. So I guess she saw some lyrics I wrote on the back of a paper bag from the farmer's market, and the song was about, well, sort of a girl I met at the farmer's market. 
Marigold didn't immediately flip, like she did when she saw the song I wrote on a popcorn box about a girl I met at the Cinemark, or when she found the song I wrote on a napkin about a girl I met after a show at a bar. Okay, well that one had a phone number at the top of the napkin, so admittedly, that was a little sketchy. But they were just songs. That's what I told Marigold each time. You're my real muse. You're my girl. That's what I said to her. Can't tell you her response. Harsh. Sure, Marigold is a singer-songwriter like me, and as she's told me quite a few times, she doesn't want to be anybody's muse, and she doesn't want me writing songs for slash about some chick I met buying kale on a produce stand. Hey, understood. She had other grievances, too, like how I always came home so late, and how I never washed the dishes, and how I sometimes didn't pay half, half of the rent, and how I never fed the cat, and how I spent the majority of my time smoking weed and listening to music, and how I generally just thought about myself and my songs. And I could hear the air quotes when she said songs. She had a pretty long list, and it was fairly accurate. In my defense, and this is what I said to her after she stopped yelling and waving the popcorn box at me, Marigold, I'm an artist. Well, as you might guess, that didn't go over well. I'm like Orpheus, Marigold, the dude who went to hell to rescue his dead girl, Iridice. And she said, you won't even go to the convenience store for me. I don't think she got my point. Maybe she just didn't get me. Anyway, we'd fight, make up, listen to music, play with the cat, and life would be normal for a while. But this last time, she wouldn't even listen to me. She left for work and told me to be gone by the time she got home. And she said she was keeping the cat. Although he was sort of mine, or at least I named him, Cosmo. Cosmo the cat. Great cat. I miss him. So now I'm on Simone's couch. Not for long, Simone. Okay, so this first song I wrote like ten minutes ago in the men's room. It's about chipmunks. I know, right? I go to the park almost every day so Simone can have some private time with her man Frank. Cool dude. Where is Frank, by the way? Anyway, when I'm at the park, I never see chipmunks. Squirrels everywhere, but never a chipmunk. So I wrote this song. It's about chipmunks, but it's also about love. You know, a metaphor. It's called, I Never See a Chipmunk. Hope you like it. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Pavis, associate producer and resident essayist and playwright here at Troubadours and Raconteurs with your host, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On the occasion of our 500th episode, I would like to say thanks to some special people. First, to our long-suffering assistant, Carl, whose hard work in putting our show together has taken a toll on his mental health. Carl is now on, well, let's call it a sabbatical. Godspeed, Carl. 
next to our special guests, the poets and playwrights, novelists and journalists, memoirists and artists, singers and songwriters, musicians and composers, politicians and pundits, activists and rebels and radicals, who have generously and eloquently shared their passion, humor, and insight with our listeners. Finally, to E.W., thanks from Uncle Cesare and the denizens of his depressed former coal town and the lonesome cowboy and Glenn the shut-in and all the oddball characters who found a home on the show. Thanks for creating this unique experience every week and for your essays and poems, songs and stories, wit and wisdom, and recipes for living. And now, to commemorate our milestone, a prose poem titled, To Be a Mensch. To Be a Mensch. Remember Billy Wilder's 1960 movie, The Apartment? Milk toast office drudge C.C. Baxter, played by Jack Lemmon, loves sad yet sassy elevator operator Miss Kubelik, played by Shirley MacLaine, who is having an affair with sleazy executive Mr. Sheldrake, played by Fred McMurray. Remember when Baxter's neighbor, kind and wise Dr. Dreyfus, played by Jack Crucian, yells at him, Be a mensch! It's Yiddish, like schmutz and schmaltz and schmuck. From the old high German, menisco, which means human being, a human with integrity and honor, compassion and heart. Remember the end of the movie when Baxter becomes a mensch and Miss Kubelik returns his love? Remember? Sets in the blue. Oh, my love, what can we do? Just
Sunsets in the blue. Oh, my love, what can we do? Kicking it. Do you remember how Joe Morocco used to walk? Christ, he was cool. And here I am, a child with a white beard, standing under a crisp, barren maple tree in late November. I smoke it all since sweet September. It makes all the difference as I forget not to remember. Nothing means anything anyway, but it must. It needs to mean something, all of this. It is your soul, your heart, your spirit and mind, what it means. And then three doe trot through my backyard across the asphalt Edgewood East into a neighbor's leaf-covered grass, home to intermingled trees and sweet relief. I drink a beer and smoke an American spirit gold in a crisp autumn breeze. This is 501, fire on the mountain guru in white slick skin boots pointed at the toes kicking it on guitar. Inside now, sitting on the couch with my slippered feet on a brown, beat-up, but strong coffee table. Seven hours from then, I am up again, and the deep orangeness of another sunrise emerges from the valley. A daily uprising of rainbow-spectrum energy, atoms, love, Discontent, treasure, lonely, yet together forever, as these bones and flesh and hair are here now, there yesterday, speaking with a tongue lathered in wit, stories, wisdom, and recipes. 
this enigma-wrapped conundrum demure. Earth Energy Vegan brownie with cannabis sprinkles. A cup of black coffee to wash it over my taste buds. Inside it tingles. Rhythm and beat on the radio. A good book on the low brown table in front of the couch. If only Cain was able. Ouch. Katie girl, our chocolate lab, sitting on my feet, gnawing on her bone. The daylight from sunrise pours through all of the windows and fills us up with earth energy. I refuse to be a drone. I can smell incense burning and hear anticipation in the air. And there you have it, episode 504 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. Last year's literature of 2022. I'd like to thank these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, the movie cast of Rent, Culture Abuse, Happy End, Caroline Rose, Fawn Wood, Melody Gardot, Brentford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. I look forward to putting together episodes for 2023. We have a great slate of guests and a lot of fun, compelling ideas to share. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening.